In today's episode of the Amon Wire podcast. People feel out of control, but you have control over when you wake up. You have control over the over praying on time. You have control over trying to meaningfully connect to family members, uh, over your attitude or how you react to other people. So structure and routine definitely helps during a time where we feel out of control um, and can help us feel like we uh, are secure. And Allah gives us that free will because otherwise, you know, we would be in a situation we wouldn't have control over our environment. And so taking advantage of, okay, these are the supports I have in place. These are the things I can manage in, a, in, un- in an unmanageable situation. Assalamu alaikum and welcome to the Manwar podcast. Salim here uh, with my co-host Ghaidar. Assalamu alaikum Ghaidar. Wa alaikum salam Salim. How are you doing? How are you doing, man? Uh, I, this is the first podcast where we're actually not together um, because of the current uh, COVID situation. We're actually doing this remotely. So uh, I haven't actually seen you in a while. So how are you doing? Alhamdulillah, I've been uh, feeling lonely without you. I know. Actually, uh, I don't except, know what I'm going to do with this podcast, you know? Because <laughs> usually, my kids haven't let me breathe lately. <laughs> usually, I rely on you to tell me, like, hey, you need to you cut this short or stop talking, et cetera, et cetera. So, uh, you yeah. know, but, um, you know, obviously, it's been a, a very uh, interesting time. Um, everything yes. holding up on your side? Alhamdulillah. Uh, may Allah make it, uh, you know, for his sake, whatever we're doing, uh, you know, uh, you know, the first uh, few memes that I read, you know, uh, regarding this was uh, your ancestors were asked to go to war. You're being asked to stay at home. So, uh, you know, you can do it. So I'm like, OK, I guess. <laughs> so I guess I'll, I'll do that. So uh, Alhamdulillah, you know, it's all a blessing from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The, the fact that we are together, we are seeing our, our children more. Uh, we are able to uh, connect with our spouses, our families uh it's just a blessing and it's also uh, a struggle that we need to go through uh, through our nafus you know to kind of be able to uh, face our inner selves you know mm-hmm. truly <laughs> yeah no absolutely i think that's a, that's sort of a great uh, introduction to what we want to talk about today because uh just the fact that we're social distancing this is a concept that's now become very familiar to to uh, to many of us throughout the world, um, and so we wanted to bring on um, a guest, uh, um, Sister Nejo Awad, to discuss about some of the um, the challenges um, and some of uh, her advice about dealing with some of the issues related to the social distancing. Uh, Sister Nejo Awad is a psychotherapist, uh, has provided mental health services to individuals and families uh, for over ten years. She has a bachelor's degree in psychology uh, from George Mason University and a master's in social work at Virginia. Commonwealth University. Uh, She has postgraduate certification in advanced trauma treatment. Her experience includes um, providing services at group homes, at schools, foster care system, uh, as well as supervising outpatient mental health settings um, and providing therapy to women, children, and families. And again, uh, assalamu alaikum and welcome, uh, Sister Najwa. Thank you so much for having me and, and talking about such an important topic. I guess to, to start off, um, you know, all of us are, are dealing with um, a general um, stress and anxiety that, you know, I think a, a large a large group of us are experiencing just from the general stress of this, you know, this virus, you know, this, uh, this COVID situation and, and what maybe perhaps some of your observations and some of your um, tips in terms of managing or, or dealing with the general anxiety of dealing with this, um, this tribulation. So yes, COVID-19 has certainly been a very interesting situation. It's something that none of us 
predicted. If you had asked us back sometime in January, I don't think any of us would have foreshadowed the, the degree to how it has impacted our lives day to day. Um, in terms of children being out of school, in terms of being home, not being able to go out, uh, there has been a lot of anxiety. I don't know if anyone hasn't had anxiety as a result of, of what's going on. And so, you know, a lot of people ask me, how do I manage my anxiety? And I think it's good to look at it in that a normal, in, in stressful situations, it's normal to have anxiety. Uh, there's always going to be a certain amount of, of stress in life. Number one, our, our bodies are designed, when we have stressors in our day-to-day -day environment, our, our bodies are designed to react in a way to make us alert, to uh, have us focus. And without them, without stress, we're not able to be able to function to our best abilities. So for example, like um, an athlete, if they're not a little bit stressed, then they're not gonna do their best during a game. Or a student, if they are not a little bit stressed, they're not going to do well on their exam. And so as human beings, we have these physiological responses. And I would say it's probably abnormal not to, uh, to have stress during this time. So anxiety is, is normal right now. Um, everyone's trying to adjust to, to um, many changes going on all at the same time. And it helps to remember also that in addition to this being a normal physiological response, that this is also a normal part of life. We have really gotten used to this whole idea of everything being perfect. We can make our houses a certain kind of way. We can um, present ourselves in the community a certain kind of way, even on social media, how people craft certain things. And so this is like a, it's a great reminder that subhanAllah, like we are here to worship Allah. We are here to, we are going to be tested and, you know, before this, I think we were all tested. We all had certain trials, but this is such like a blatant reminder that, you know, life is going to be uncomfortable, even in the Quran. I mean, it says, do the people think that they will be left to say, we believe and they will not be tried. So this is part of the normal human um, uh, response. And so keeping these things, normalizing the process, normalizing anxiety in the situation, I think, I think helps some people instead of saying, what's wrong with me? Why can't I get myself together? Why, why do I feel this way? And the best way, frankly, I think to deal with it is to know there are certain things that we can control and there are certain things that we cannot control. I'm trying to manage, you know, that balance between the two. Um, you know, uh, seeing that Allah is in control, like we do not know, we didn't know when this pandemic was coming and we won't know when it's going to leave. And kind of relinquishing that, that trust that, that Allah will take care of us, you know, in, in a manner that he thinks is best, that he's in control of the situation. And I think it's good to have that, that spiritual peace. However, sometimes I feel like people kind of teeter between the two of, of either having too much control or letting go completely. And so in addition to, you know, us knowing that Allah is in control, also having control over our day, what are some of the things that we can control um, hour to hour or minute to minute? There's been a lot of changes in terms of, you know, our kids being schooled at home, spouses working from home. And so people feel out of control, 
but you know you have control over when you wake up you have control over the time over praying on time you have control over trying to meaningfully connect to family members uh, over your attitude or how you react to other people so structure and routine definitely helps during a time where we feel out of control um, and can help us feel like we uh, are secure and Allah gives us that free will because otherwise you know we would be in a situation we wouldn't have control over our environment and so taking advantage of okay these are the supports I have in place these are the things I can manage in, a, in, un, in an unmanageable situation. Actually, I think that's that's a beautiful point because actually, you know, in hearing some of the advice given by some of our teachers as well, like, you know, uh, talking about very simple things that we do just in terms of our daily religious practice, how it um, instills like this concept of, uh, of a very, uh, of a structure in the day, like, you know, how you wake up, um, the dhikr that you do when you wake up in the morning, uh, doing your weird or reciting Quran, um, sort of, fi- you know, finding that structure to help sort of manage your day, which I think is even more crucial now because many of us are just at home uh, and we find that a lot of our um, our time is, uh, you know, sort of unstructured as it will because we're not at work. And, uh, you know, that's where I sort of want to go to in terms of the specific, um, I would say, unique anxieties that come from being social distancing at home, particularly with this, you know, isolation at home, because for most of us, uh, we're in our homes uh, with or without an immediate family. Some of us don't have anyone, we're just by ourselves. Others others are just, you know, with our, you know, immediate family, maybe a spouse or children, or maybe perhaps the parents and so forth. Um, and so there's different levels and different types of anxiety that come with that. Um, you know, on one end, you have, uh, for example, uh, uh, depression that can ensue from being, you know, just completely alone or feeling alone in your home. On the other hand, you have sort of the anxiety that you may have uh, uh, by not being able to to leave the house. So there's different, I was wondering if you could to touch on some of the different types of um, anxieties and challenges that, um, that, that you're seeing or that people are, are asking you about and dealing with specifically of being isolated at home. SubhanAllah, it, you know, everybody is being tested in different ways. And, and like you mentioned, some people are sad, some people might be anxious, um, some people might feel lonely. And I think it's good for people to reflect on who they are and their natural tendencies and what they've, what they've experienced in the past. Because that's usually the, the past is a good indicator for the future. So um, number one, n- not comparing yourself to other people. I think that mm. also compounds things and makes things worse. You know, sitting in, in um, you know, whether it's a virtual gathering or talking to someone on the phone, it's like, okay, well, this person sounds great. You know, they don't have financial issues. They or, or they're getting along fine with their spouse. And so when we when we compare ourselves to all that surface level interaction that we that we see, it's very easy to feel bad that, oh, there must be something wrong with me personally because I am having a harder time adjusting. But it's important to know that we're all going to be tested in, in different ways. Um, so, like, for example, if someone is anxious, um, it's important for them to utilize a lot of calming strategies. Uh, what happens is when we get really stressed, our sympathetic system activates. And so for people who have a hard time calming down, engaging in that parasympathetic system and using calming strategies. So that might look like doing deep breathing, um, maybe doing vicar after salah. Uh, it might be spending time outside alone, um, cuddling, you know, being with, with other people, playing with animals, like if you have a cat, petting the cat, 
So if you know that you're the anxious type, you're going to look for soothing activities that help calm you down. If you know that you're the kind of person, however, that might get depressed, it's a different story. So with depression, what happens is it slows you down, makes you not want to do anything. You have these overwhelming, well, with anxiety, you have overwhelming thoughts, but you have these overwhelming thoughts that kind of paralyze you and make you not want to do anything. So the person who knows they have a history of depression or they, they tend to be more sad, they know that it's kind of the opposite. They want to stay, they should stay active, meaning um, they want to engage in physical activities, like maybe going out and running, um, doing activities with their hands, like if they're good with crafting or doing projects around the house. Um, and it's really also important to stay connected with others. When people are generally sad, what happens is they, they isolate. We're already in a situation where, in, you know, in a lot of ways we're isolated, but it makes us not want to reach out to others for a lot of reasons. And so knowing that uh, it, you might have to take a few extra steps to reach out to other people and whether it's even talking about your feelings or, or just, just everyday events, that human interaction is very important in, in keeping you away from depression. Depression reminds me kind of like of, of cement. Like the longer you stay still, the more it sets in and the harder it is to get out. So for them, like staying, staying active. Uh, for the people who are lonely, um, and, it's, and it's really interesting during this time because you can clearly see who's introverted and who's extroverted, right? Yes. <laughs> Um, so some people are, are loving the alone time, although they're being tried in other ways. But for those extroverts, you know, it, it, it's very challenging. They're used to that extra stimulation. Right. Um, and so, you know, staying, staying in touch online through FaceTime, um, doing the, the online halakas. And um, also, like, remembering that like even when you're alone, you're never really alone. You have Allah. Mm. And, so, you know, taking, uh, taking a chance to, especially with Ramadan coming up, to reconnect with Allah and knowing that you're never really alone. There's always, there's always angels. There's always Allah with you. And so that could be a good opportunity also to, to build attachment to Allah. So kind of knowing where, where you are. Uh, and it might be that someone is feeling all of those things. So kind of going through the, the different uh, coping strategies. You know, you, you mentioned this, this um, about developing connection, but I, I think a lot of us, maybe we're, 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 we're trying to establish connections through, you know, all these online platforms and things like that and, and connecting through um, these type of means, but you may do that, but you still feel um, like you may call someone up, but you still feel that loneliness because you're just not in the physical presence of people. You know, obviously you're never alone. You're always with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But do you have any other additional advice to, to help people um, get out of that? You know, it's it's great that we have all this technology to connect people and see them and talk to them. But there's still, it's still that, you know, that disconnect um, uh, with them that makes, makes people still feel lonely. You're right. And, you know, I feel like this was even a difficulty outside of, what's going on now that people tend to present is very superficial and, it, and it's hard to kind of to go deeper with people. And so, you know, one thing that people can do is, you know, find trusted people, people that they feel closer to and just be vulnerable a little bit, which it's, it's kind of difficult putting yourself out there. But uh, we, we initiate, we maintain a certain level of closeness based off what we put to. So, you're not going to call someone up and say, hey, how are you doing? And they're going to be like, oh, I'm doing terrible. Some people will, but most people mm -hmm. probably won't. They'll just say, oh, I'm fine. And so, you know, 
knowing that each person is going through something and then just taking time to build that conversation and putting seeds. Oh, like, you know, I'm, I'm having trouble with, um, I don't know, my son with this issue has your, have your kids been doing things like that and, and joking. And, and so, um, putting a little bit of that vulnerability helps people are just in, in this, in our culture, not, um, in the American culture, we, we have a certain image to protect. And so, um, that vulnerability piece is a lot of time missing. And so just that little bit of openness can make a big difference in the conversation. I wanted to, um, uh, you know, uh, kind of get back to some of the earlier point, uh, points that you mentioned, uh, Sister Najwa. Uh, you know, you did mention, of course, we are not alone, you know, uh, and we realize that intellectually all the time as Muslims, uh, inshallah. Uh, and then uh, when it comes to the practice of it, it, it seems that this, uh, you know, um, COVID-19 situation made it more of a sudden shock to us uh, spiritually. A lot of us who are on the uh, kind of fence, so to speak, uh, in terms of their relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they uh, sprinted, you know, first. You know, they were like, it like kind of gave that shock spiritually as well. It gave that kind of, uh, you know, jolt of energy to run uh, to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And I know now we're speaking, uh, you know, uh, at the time of this recording, we are between the third and the fourth week of our, uh, you know, um, kind of uh, stay at home situation here in the East Coast and the US. And most of the world kind of jumped on the same kind of uh, wave. Uh, I wanted to kind of ask you because uh, a lot of folks may feel that, okay, great, you know, as Muslims, you know, as people of faith, we, we went into this phase in the first two weeks, we were like, oh my God, I got to get back. You ought to, you know, please, you know, uh, help me strain my affairs with you and, and everything. But after this while, you know, into the third and the fourth week, the mundane came back, you know, and the, uh, getting used to it in terms of like, you know, like this is now the new reality started kicking in. A lot of us may be feeling, you know, I'm losing my grip here spiritually. You know, I'm, uh, you know, I sprinted to Allah. Now I'm cooling down. There's a lot ahead of me in the journey. You know, if, if it's a mile run or a 10 mile run, you know, I, I just made barely the first mile, you know, but I, I need to connect more. I need to be able to keep my pace. But unfortunately, I'm not, you know, although the threat maybe now is, I'm not trying to be, you know, morbid, but the threat may be like more now, you know, with, with the whole situation being on the rise and, and, and a lot of the uh, ambiguity in terms of what the government's saying and the, and the medical, you know, experts are saying. Not to make this point very long, you know, how do I deal with this anxiety being formed that I am not doing enough, that I am cooling down, I am not being able to surpass myself to, you know, be a cons on a consistent run to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You know, I really like that you use the word sprint, because, you know, when you sprint, you get tired very easily. And I think, you know, reframing that in that this is going to be a marathon. And you know, I, I don't want to give, um, I, I don't want to make it sound depressing, but they, they are forecasting that we might be in the situation for a long time. Um, and so knowing that this may be over at the end of the summer, maybe going into the fall, knowing that 
with any relationship or any any long task ahead of you that there there has to be rest. You know, if you're sprinting all of the time, um, then eventually you're you're not going to be able to keep going. So knowing that you're going to have some days where maybe you do have a spiritual dip, maybe you don't feel uh, as motivated to do certain things as other days, and you know, uh, having self-compassion that these are really abnormal times, uh, and that we are we're going to be tried in very very difficult ways. So self-care becomes really imperative at this time, and I, I love to talk about self-care in like a holistic perspective. Because I feel like when people focus on just like one aspect, then you know they're overlooking really uh, other important things. So, you know, with self care, we want to do spiritual things, you know, in terms of connecting with Allah. Uh, but we also want to vary it up too. We want to, you know, take care of ourselves socially, and you know, and that being connecting with others, but also like intellectually, and the, and so that can look like reading. It can look like listening to lectures online and then also um, emotionally as well. So, you know, having a variety of coping skills where you're varying it up. So thinking that you're going to pray all of your sunnah prayers and that you're going to do a sakhar after every salah, I think would be probably unreal. If, you, if someone can do it, then alhamdulillah, good for them. But I think for a lot of us, with, with all the demands going on at home, it's very difficult. And, so, and knowing that Allah knows that we're in this situation and that we're trying our best. But trying our best doesn't mean that we push ourselves to unreasonable limits. So I think knowing that, you know, some days it's going to be harder than others. And that's okay. It doesn't make you a bad Muslim. It doesn't make you um, that there's that uh, your iman is necessarily weak. It, it can fluctuate. And so, you know, it goes back to that whole uh, idea of, of doing it's better to do small amounts of good deeds consistently than try to do all these big big deeds and not be able to continue them. And, and that's actually another, um, you know, I appreciate this response. And that's actually another kind of uh, flip side to the situation. We, you know, being Americans or Westerners in, in general, we tend to fill our day with so many things. And uh, we tend to be overachievers and trying to kind of do so many things at the same time. It seemed that this disruption has made some of what we, at least, I, I mean, I'm, I'm talking at least on my personal uh, account, you know, it's, it's kind of funny, but uh, in, the, in the beginning, we were like, oh my God, this whole thing is disrupting uh, uh, what, we're, what we're doing and we need to kind of really, you know, uh, think about uh, the whole picture and the holistic approach like you mentioned. But now we seem to have gone back to the same old habits, at least some of us, uh, you know, to fill their day again, you know, with back-to-back -back things, you know, being on so many fronts again, instead of, you know, retreating, uh, being, uh, you know, into uh, several channels that you necessarily weren't part of it. And then uh, you're trying to compensate for that kind of feeling that you're not outside. And now we are back again into this overload of tasks and this overload of responsibilities and not being able to reflect or give yourself space to do self-care. Um, how do you, 
you know, suggest that we kind of navigate the situation back again, of being a busy bee, so to speak. Yeah, I mean, again. just to interject, it's almost like a crisis of pacing, you know, because, you know, usually we have a certain endpoint, like in Ramadan, for example, like, you know, uh, like some of the things we talked about earlier, it's like, you know, sometimes you go too hard in the beginning of Ramadan and then you sort of fizzle out towards the end or other people, you know, they start gradually building and building until the last 10 days. But usually when we're dealing with these types of situations, like we have some sort of, uh, we sort of understand like there's sort of an endpoint, you know, say some tragedy happens in our life, you know, we lose a loved one, you know, there's a certain endpoint that will eventually happen, you know, where uh, we you do certain things and then eventually we get to a certain point. But this situation is like no other for, I think for a lot of us who have never experienced tribulation like this, where there's no endpoint in sight, or there's not a, there's not a certainty in sight. So, so in the beginning, where we were able to like rush into doing certain things, both spiritually, intellectually, uh, and all that thing, all that. But now we're getting to the point where the, the we just don't know how to pace ourselves. That's very true, and then you know it makes you wonder why why is it that people are filling their lives with such things? Is it you know is it the competition between others? Is it because uh, it gives people a certain amount of meaning or that we just kind of have lost you know, our priorities in life? It's a good question. And the problem with the answer varies for from person to person. Um, and alhamdulillah for Ramadan coming up, I mean, I'm hoping that people will slow down a little bit. But you're right, like in terms of busyness, even myself before all of this, if you looked at my calendar, I mean, I had the, the way that things were scheduled um, it was just one thing after another, especially if you have kids in Howard mm-hmm. County, right? It's, <laughs> it's like activities galore and homework. And then you still feel like you're not, you're not enough as a parent at the end of the day, because you didn't do, I don't know, Khan Academy or, or whatever Academy. Um, and so it, it's just like never feeling good enough. You always have to do more and more. But I think that, you know, you make a good point. Like we have, we have to, we have to stop. We have to, um, pause and reflect and be able to know that it's okay to be still. It's okay to sit there and, and be still with Allah, or it's okay to sit there and, and be with our children. But in a society where everything is measured by productivity, right. and maybe that's, yeah. you know, from work, I don't know. But, you know, sometimes I, even myself, I find myself like sitting with the kids, having a wonderful, you know, interaction, even as a mom, and then saying, oh, I didn't get anything done today. You know, it's probably the other the other week. My husband reminded me. He's like, "What are you talking about? You just that interaction that you had with your child. That's everything." Um, and so, going back to that that quality time with each other, quality time with Allah, quality time with ourselves, just to be able to decompress, and that's okay. That downtime is okay. It's not a waste of time, or it's not laziness. I think we got those things confused. So I mean that brings us actually into another um, subset of this um, uh, this home isolation uh, phenomenon, specifically in relation to families. I mean what we're seeing now is that uh, you know um, there's there's obviously certain stressors that are accentuated when people are stuck in the same place, whether they're related or not. Uh, but especially when they're you know close family, um, you know this is obviously certain things that people are not used to, uh, you know, being at home all the time with their spouse or with their children or uh, with their um, with their parents and so forth. And so um, a lot of, you know, I, I think a lot of people were saying like, you know, as a joke that like, you know, like nine months from now, there's going to be a lot of um, like babies born. And that may be true, but also it may be true that uh, once this ends, that there may also be a lot of, uh, you know, divorces and things like that as well. And that, that's actually 
of something that people have pointed out. There's a lot of um, a strain on relationships, especially if they were already not uh, on solid ground before this occurred. Um, so I was wondering if you could comment a little bit about some of the um, the family specific stressors, you know, relationship conflicts and strains that this puts on. Uh, first, let's talk about like in terms of um, spousal relationships, um, in terms of those type of stresses. You know, it's funny that, you know, the second part of that joke that, you know, the first part is that people are going to have, a lot of people are going to give birth and have uh, babies in nine months. Right. The second part of the joke is that they're all going to be first time parents because <laughs> yes. parents with kids <laughs> are not going to want to have any more kids after this. That's right. Um, <laughs> but in terms of um, spouses, yeah, you know, there, there are those jokes too that, you know, when you have, when you get to leave the house and you get to go to work, you do get a break from from your spouse. And, you know, I've, I've heard about people being in conflict and it's really hard to get along, but, you know, in us talking about a lot of like individual self-care, I think we overlook that as couples, we should be taking care of our, our couple selves too. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, you know, when, when we, we work all day or take care of the kids all day and then, uh, you know, it's dinner and then, you know, people just kind of fall asleep. And then we, we forget, you know, how it felt like early on in the relationship or or the good times in a relationship, especially when there's stress. You know, now there's economic stress. People are worried right. about paying bills and things like that. And so, um, yeah, it's, it's important to take care of yourself, but also to nurture that relationship. Because couple when you're when you're married or with with someone else, um, it's, it's very much like a tank. And if you don't fill that tank, then you go into the deficit. And people are more likely to snap and, and be upset with each other. So, you know, spending time together, um, focusing on things that you like to do. There's lots of things like board games, cooking gourmet meals, um, you know, just doing things that interest both people, uh, watching silly, you know, reality shows, ways of, you know, rekindling that relationship. Because at the end of the day, like friendship is so important in marriage. And so, you know, we give time to our friends, but then when we don't give time to our spouse uh, in a way that they feel valued, um, mm-hmm. then, you know, it makes it much harder to, to lead that family in that way because that, it's the foundation. When you're not on the same page as your spouse or you feel resentful towards your spouse, the whole house feels it. Right. So it, it can be an opportunity where people criticize each other, and, but it can also be an opportunity to, to reconnect and to work on the relationship, which frankly, we should all, all be doing anyway. Um, in terms of, you know, with, with children, I would also say that, you know, teaching them coping skills as well. Um, their conflict is a normal part of life. It's a normal part of family life. And so telling them, you know, it's, it's okay that we sometimes get upset at each other. It's okay that sometimes, you know, you might fight with your, with your sibling, Mm -hmm. but what are ways that you can deal with it when you're upset. That problem solving, those problem solving skills are so useful for children. Um, and again, you know, we can continue to look at all the negative things. And for sure, there's a lot of negative things. But there's certainly a lot of opportunities, you know, that we, we didn't have in our busy day uh, lives before. And now we can sit down with our kids and say, okay, you know, this, this is a really stressful situation. What do you think we should do? Um, when, when the two of you fight, do you think that you should go to your rooms or do you think you should go take a walk? Like, how can we calm down? And then you're starting to, you know, when you sit there and you're, and you're validating your child and you value the perspective of your child, they're much more likely to cooperate. Um, 
than, you know, just kind of dismissing and invalidating what they say. So there are many golden opportunities in all the chaos that we can kind of just step back and say, okay, how can we, how can we learn from each other? How can we learn from the situation and make the best out of something that, you know, we don't necessarily want, um, but, but take it and make it in a way that's meaningful and, and um, growth oriented for our family. What of the uh, you know of those of us who um, feel as if we're we're drowning because of the added stress of you know the schools being closed, uh, so the children being at home, and then we're also have to you know working at home uh, full time, so people are juggling you know a full time job while the kids are at home, or the kids are having virtual or homeschooling, and there's a structure with that, and there's responsibility with that, and then they have you know also their their spouse or other, you know, dependents in the house, um, you know, like, oh, this is sort of the flip side, you know, some people are maybe feel like they have so much time in the day that, you know, they, they, they get bored and they have nothing to do. But for other people, it's just almost as if it's even more stuff that's being piled on them than was before. Uh, what, what were some of the, the suggestions or tips you have for, for those people in that situation? Yeah, there is certainly that group of people where I don't even know how they do it. The, the amount of stress and the amount of things that they're taking on is, it's a lot. And, and subhanAllah, some of these people are perfectionists too. So they're having an incredibly hard time letting go mm-hmm. um, of some of that control. But I have to say, I mean, like we have to reduce our standards. We have to, the things that we maybe were not okay with uh, a, a few months ago, I think we have to come yeah. um, to terms that it's not going to be the same. I think that, you know, many people, they would, they would judge you if you talked about a screen time with, uh, with your kids. And so, but now what is everybody doing? And I'm not saying like put your kids in front of the TV Rich. all day, <laughs> but I mean, we have, we, we cannot do that. And I actually have one family who's not, they're choosing not to do screen time. That's their choice, but it makes your life unnecessarily right. difficult, I believe. And so things that you're not used to, um, if you're used to making these extravagant meals all the time, you're going to have to let that stuff go. If you're with your kids, your husband's home and, you know, you're trying to do like a million things at one time. You just, we have to let certain things go. Um, and so uh, reducing our, our, our standards for things, but then also having a lot of self-compassion and knowing that, you know, in stressful times, we don't even, pref- we, we, um, we certainly can focus and we can and uh, look at certain things in, in better ways sometimes, but, but it also limits our capacity. And so not taking on extra things and um, having that self-compassion that, you know, maybe I'm not going to be able to work out the way I used to, or maybe I'm not going to be able to do um, X, Y, and Z. And then extending that compassion to other people. Right. Like your, mm-hmm. your, your spouse is stressed. Your kids are stressed. Um, the elders are stressed. Like if you have in-laws or you're, you're taking care of elders, everybody is stressed. Uh, and, and so having that compassion that everybody's going through a hard time, I think will definitely you know, deflate some of that uh, stress in the house. I, I would just like to add that also, you know, I don't know when this happened exactly, but I feel like we, a lot of times we view our kids like many adults. And we have these expectations for them to keep it together in a way that we adults keep it together. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, just reminding ourselves that we're working with children, you know, and, and children, they have fits, they have bad days. 
Um, and so extending our compassion to them and knowing that they are that they are children and, and treating them in age appropriate ways, because that's really unfair for us to have these high expectations. Well, sometimes we we have bad days, but we can't have expectations for them that we don't have for ourselves. Yeah, that's actually a very good, um, you know, uh, way of uh, putting it, because sometimes uh, it, it's also uh, stressful on the part of parents because they feel the weight of this whole, um, you know, social distancing and staying at home with the kids trying to do the work. They feel all of that on their shoulders. And then at the end of the day, they feel bad about their way of stressing things around their children. They feel bad about themselves, you know, not being the parents they they should be. Um, you know, I, and I'm not referring to the, you know, perfectionist i'm just referring to the way that you know the 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 yin and yang of it you know the the giving up of all these things that you used to hold as a standard for instance you know in in my home you know we have a thing uh, with, with my five-year-old that he has you know a maximum of one hour of screen time and it's usually kind of around you know things that are just downtime and all of a sudden this happens and there's not even there's not even a you know a measure you know like we're, we're trying to select the screen time what type it is and all that but then you feel that kind of uh, you know again i guess anxiety or some sort of self-blaming that you sometimes transfer in your attitude to your child and um and that becomes kind of a a double whammo so to speak uh so um, you know what what's your kind of thought process of how, you know, even if you let go, you feel that guilt come back. No, I think it's really a good sign of a parent when they do feel bad about some of the things they do. You know, I work with a lot of people who have endured trauma, um, abuse from their parents. And, you know, one thing that's consistent with those parents is they, they don't care and they feel entitled to what they did and they think what they did was right. So I think that by, you know, by default, that if you are sitting there and you're reflecting and you feel a little bad for things not going a certain way or maybe snapping at your child, that is a sign that you're a good parent because you, you care. Um, and so, you know, I think taking that reflection and just knowing that, you know, there are going to be certain days that you're not going to be performing your best, just like with, uh, you know, anything else in your life. And just saying, okay, tomorrow, inshallah, I'm just going to try, I'm going to try again. And so it's not this idea of um, necessarily always being the best parent. We, we certainly strive to do that. But being merciful on yourself in that, you know, maybe maybe I didn't do my best today, inshallah, I will try harder. And, you know, children are very resilient in that, um, you know, we we are very conscientious of the, of the things they eat and the screen time that they have. But, you know, as long as we try have these nurturing environments where we love them as much as we can, and some days it's going to be harder than others. Uh, but in that they feel, in that they feel that, that's at the end of the day what's most important. And then when, we, when we mess up, you know, going to our children and saying, you know what, yesterday I feel like, you know, I was pretty, I was pretty upset. And so I'm sorry if you felt like, um, you know, I was yelling at you, or I'm sorry if you felt like I was being harsh. That modeling goes such a long way because you're showing your kid that that you care, that it is possible to make mistakes, 
and, and that you love them. Um, and, and so I, I feel like there's a tremendous amount of good things that can come from, from our mistakes because we grow, but then also our children grow when we uh, go back and address, you know, what we did. Yeah, I think one of the things also is that, like, you know, I think, uh, you know, I think uh, any parent can attest that, you know, uh, you know, you can take so much on yourself, like you can take, you you know, you can, you feel you can deal with a, a, a tribulation, right? But it's it's exceedingly painful or difficult to envision that your your child or someone who you love um, is is dealing with um, that same or a different tribulation. And that can take, you know, that can, that can mean different things. It can mean something as simple as like, oh, I feel so guilty that, you know, now that the kids are missing all of school, they won't have their friendships, they won't get to play with their friends, they'll never see their kid, their friends for like months, perhaps. And so it just creates a sort of the cycle of almost like you just, uh, this, the stress and anxiety you feel for the kids, because uh, you feel like their lives are being ruined somehow. But you know, again, the reminder you said about how the resilience of kids is something that we tend to, um, you know, probably underestimate. Um, and then really returning back to sort of some of those core elements of, of having a happy household and, and a supportive household, that should help mitigate that, should not? Yes, absolutely. Because at the end of the day, you know, it doesn't really necessarily matter how much money you're bringing in or, or the gadgets that you buy. It's that they feel loved, whether, and, and that can be you know, whether you're spending time with them or you show them affection or you show that you value their opinion, that at the end of the day, that's what builds resiliency is knowing that I'm loved and I'm part of a cohesive unit. Maybe it's not, they're not perfect, you know, but they, they love me and they care about me and I have a place in the world. That stability um, will resonate throughout the rest of their life, inshallah. Now, I mean, Sister Najwa, I know, and I keep saying that to myself, you know, uh, of course, you know, at the end of the day, you know, there's a lot of battles that, that go on and, uh, you know, children are asleep. We're sitting down. My wife and I were like munching on some ice cream. We're like, mm-hmm. children are resilient. We're like saying that to ourselves. Children are resilient. It's okay. <laughs> so I could keep uh, kind of going through that, you know, telling, pacifying yourself. But as a helicopter parent, if I can, quote unquote, get back to the chopper, you know, kind of thing, you know, what happens if this gets prolonged? You know, these social skills that we said to ourselves, yeah. it's okay, you know, you know, we need to give up on all that, you know, ultimate routine that we're, we were trying to construct. What happens if this takes a longer stride? You know, what would be the ramification on my children's social skills, you know, Absolutely. and yeah. and other things, you know, psychologically or intellectually i know that there's a lot of virtual learning going on right now um you know but there are certain things in the classroom that are not replicable you know and and therefore how do i you know kind of approach this you know at least from your specialist point of view yeah and i would say you know this goes back to the whole point of like what are the things that we can control and what are the things that we can you know this might go on for a really long amount of time but you know, them not going back to the classroom or being in the situation, we, we will not have control over that. But I think keeping in mind that, um, what's that saying, that learn um, learn how to take breaks, but not to quit. And so I think the same thing is going to apply in terms of dealing with our kids. So yes, we are going to lower our standards in some ways, but that doesn't mean that we're going, everything kind of goes out the window. So continuing to work on not just our holistic selves, but also our children too. Um, 
and trying to create opportunities where they might connect with others on online or trying to have some of those academic things for them. Um, and and will it be the same? I don't know that it will be the same. We, we have no idea. There's no way to predict that. But also it's, it's something that we, we really can't control. So going back to what you can, um, can manage is probably the most useful. But then also I, I, would, I would like to point out that like if you go back to previous generations, like I don't think anyone overscheduled and overbooked and had all these commitments as they do now. I mean, I think this is like a pretty new thing maybe in the past, I don't know, 20, 30 years, I would say. Um, and, yeah. <laughs> you know, that whole thing, like, it, well, they turned out fine. Well, you know, people are, they're okay. And they, they adapt to the situations that we're in. And I think it's good to like, you know, do certain, do good things for our children, but then to, we don't want to be bulldozer parents either right. where we remove all obstacles and we just facilitate because that has its own set of issues. So I think, you know, there, we do our best and the rest, we, we, you know, it's to work with. Like we, there's not, we can't control that and nobody expects anything except you trying your best. I mean, like that's just the most you can do. Um, now, you know, bringing, bringing out, uh, out a little bit, um, to a broader, um, discussion, uh, you know, there's, um, uh, certainly evidence from previous, um, epidemics are certainly this is in our lifetime probably this is this has not been um uh, seen before but there's been you know pockets of previous epidemics and um whether it was uh, SARS in Asia or uh or going back to like you know the uh, the Spanish influenza there's evidence in terms of some of the literature you know in terms of like uh, the ramifications long term after the epidemic ends uh, and things like avoidance behavior uh avoiding uh, crowds or avoiding places or, you know, these type of sort of things that last once we get, you know, inshallah, once this ends and uh, we we return, inshallah, back to, you know, the some sort of semblance of a social uh, a life, uh, but there's going to be ramifications from that. Um, uh, so, you know, in terms of, of your work as a psychotherapist, like, you know, are you um, anticipating certain uh, certain specific issues to come to come to light that you need to prepare for um, once this isolation period ends? They are expecting a lot of mental health issues after after this. Mm-hmm. I mean, during and after. Um, you know, with uh, with SARS, people seem to have like a trauma response mm-hmm. after, and so. Um, the research also shows that, you know, there's no way to predict who will develop trauma and who doesn't. Mm. Um, that, you know, they've tried certain interventions, they've tried medication. But um, one thing that is clear in the literature is that there are certain risk factors and there's certain resiliency factors. And so I think focusing on those resiliency factors uh, is probably the most that we can do. Um, and so some of those resiliency factors, talking about your feelings, actually um, helps a great deal uh, versus keeping it inside. So, you know, if you do have someone that you can uh, talk to and, you know, going back to an earlier point, like what if, what if there's nobody in your environment that you can talk right. to? I think, you know, a therapist actually would be a great person. Um, and, you know, that's a, a very common reason why people come to see me. You know, they feel like maybe they're misunderstood by their friends or their family members. Um and now, you know, uh, it's, it's very easy to get a therapist, uh, insurance, you know, there some of people, some of them are taking off co-pays. Um, so talking about your feelings and versus building them up is, is 
is um, is very important for resiliency. Um, feeling that you are part of a cohesive group, so like part of your family, having good communication, but also feeling like you're part of the community is important. So, you know, I've been pretty impressed with a lot of like local massages. They've been doing a good job in terms of posting um, certain shows in the evening and, um, you know, trying to keep the community together in the absence of being physically together. Um, so no, feeling that you are part of a group, and if it's not your message, feeling like you're part of maybe um, a bunch of dads or a bunch of moms. Um, if you're younger, like I know uh, college students are trying to put a lot of uh, groups together where they feel like they're socializing. So feeling like you're not alone um, definitely helps. Uh, being active helps with trauma, whether you haven't, it hasn't developed into trauma or it's actually like active PTSD. There's something about moving the body that um, helps process feelings. So there's a, there's a, a great amount of uh, literature on resiliency and, and small things that we can do. And they sound very simple, like, well, you know, like, what's the big deal? Like, these are, these are things that we should be doing. But honestly, how many of us actually do them? Like how many of us actually sit there and spend quality time with others um, or, or, you know, exercise is actually very important when the things that we're doing in this moment is going to determine how we look back at it later. And so they, they can't, these small things can be trivialized, but when you, you know, try your best within, within the circumstances that you're given, and maybe it's like a coping school there, or, you know, trying to work on, socialization here, it does add up. And so will it guarantee that you won't be, you won't suffer from trauma? No, not necessarily, but I think for sure it'll mitigate the risk of developing, um, you know, depression, anxiety, and some of the things that they're predicting. I wanted just to uh, bring your attention in light of the uh, last comments that you made, uh, Sister Najwa, uh, to a segment of our, uh, you know, uh, community. Uh, this COVID-19 situation kind of made it more apparent uh, that, uh, you know, uh, we are, first of all, asking about ourselves and then asking about our children. And we spent a good amount of time in this particular, uh, you know, episode talking about the children. But that segment that I'm uh, that I'm talking about is actually our parents, you know, and we are spiritually mandated after, you know, worshiping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to, you know, take care of our parents. And they seem to be paying a heavy price uh, based on uh, all the situation of the health risks for the old, for the elderly. And, and uh, you know, part of us here in the um, uh, kind of West living in, in separate households where, you know, parents are living somewhere else and we with our children, uh, grandparents are living somewhere else and we with our children are in our houses. Uh, what are some of the things that can, you know, ease some of that tr trauma? Because a lot of them are not used to this. You know, they, they haven't, of course, this is something that we haven't, you know, experienced in our lifetime nor theirs. And, uh, you know, it, 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 I cannot begin to, you know, uh, you know, to think about the, the, quadruple ramifications of what we just talked about in the past 45 minutes on parents on on, on elderly basically on, on on our parents yeah i mean that is a that is a big issue and you know may allah forgive us and help us all i mean this is something i think we all struggle with or most of us struggle with across the board we, it's a very individualistic society and so you know we, we do take care of our kids and we feel obligated but um 
you know, I would say here and then probably across the globe. Like if I, I don't remember if it was Japan or China, but people are, are elderly are committing suicide because they don't want to feel like they are a burden on their family. Nobody wants to take care of them. And, you know, you, you bring up an interesting point, like they are very vulnerable right now, you know, health wise, but also this is a new thing. But then if you look at it from a trauma perspective, this is actually probably could be looked at as um, um, as complicated trauma. So when a person has one episode of trauma, you know, puts them at certain risk and uh, for, for developing certain, you know, mental health complications. But I think, you know, if we look back to our parents, they have actually endured other kinds of traumas. It might not be like this one. And so, um, you know, keeping that in mind that they, they not are going, not just going through difficulties now, but have certainly endured difficulties before, whether it's in their home country or um, just even the, the lack of mental health care that was available in, in the past. And so, um, you know, patience is probably the biggest thing that we can do. You know, I, I have people who email me and joke that they can't deal with their parents anymore. And but subhanAllah, this is one of the biggest trials uh, for us. And so that self-compassion that I mentioned earlier, um, also extending it, having that mercy towards them that, you know, they when when they raised us and we were annoying and crying and doing all those things. Um, it might not feel, it might feel like we have all these other priorities, uh, you know, besides them. But subhanAllah, like, like you mentioned, after worshiping Allah, it's, you know, taking care of our parents is such, such a big deal. And so it can be, it can be small things. It can be, you know, calling them, checking up on them. Um, it can be sitting with them, you know, are you, how are you doing? Uh, how, is there anything I can help you with? I've heard, you know, some some ad adults in the community are can be stubborn and, and don't want to uh, have help. And, you know, I can understand that uh, it, for some people, it can feel demeaning, like that uh, they're losing their sense of control or sense of power. So that's a that's a real thing. But others are very lonely. Actually, I spoke to I was doing a therapy session with someone today who's in a pretty bad situation. But she said, I have nobody, I have nobody. And so I can't get out of the situation that I'm in um, because, you know, I, uh, my children can't take care of me. And so what am I supposed to do? Um, so, you know, reaching out to them, offering, you know, if we can do grocery runs for them um, or even just sitting with them, you know, uh, that's another thing that I think we struggle is uh, sometimes, you know, our parents just want us to sit with them and we're just like, okay, what's the point? We're not talking about anything, we're not doing anything, but it means a lot to them. Uh, and so, you know, looking at it is that it's, uh, you're doing a, a very important thing for them, but it's also a, a, a form of worship to be able to, to take care of your parents. So it's not always going to necessarily look like a monetary thing or some kind of grand gesture. It's those little things uh, throughout the day or throughout the week that can make a big difference for them. Um, you know, as, as we uh, sort of bring things to a close here, um, what are some uh, resources that uh, you would uh, recommend for people in terms of references about some of the things you mentioned in terms of about re uh, resiliency and self-care? Um, that's that's the first uh, first question. And then second, um, you know, so what are some of the, obviously certain, these are some certain things that will require um, the attention of, of a professional. What are the things that we, um, what are the things that we need to look out for of when to seek help? 
So in terms of resiliency, um, alhamdulillah, there's a tremendous amount of information. If you just Google, if, you know, um, risk factors and protective factors, that actually might uh, yield better, better results. But protective factors from trauma, um, you should get a lot of results for that. For children specifically, there is a seven C's um, uh, for resiliency. And so you can, um, there's seven core principles to having resilient children, and that's readily available. There's so many resources on that, alhamdulillah, as well. Um, in terms of knowing uh, when to get help, so the general idea of going through hardship during a hard time is that uh, everyone's, everyone's going to feel a certain amount of discomfort. Sadness is going to be expected. Anxiety is going to be expected. But um, the, the best way that it was explained to me is that for a normal response is when we oscillate between our grief and our, our anxiety and day-to-day -day life. So we have these moments, but we're still able to go through our day. We're still able to get tasks done. We're, we're still able to interact in healthy ways with our family. And so when we get stuck in a certain uh, mood, like an anxious mood or a depressed mood, that's usually a sign that uh, something is not right. Um, so if you're having like a hard time getting out of bed in the morning um, or you're yelling at everybody in the house, you're not able to get work done. Now I'll say, and but I'll, I'll also say that we're not going to be able to get work done like we used to before because we have just way too many things going on, but you're not able to function at all. These are all signs that it's a good idea to, to talk to someone. And it doesn't mean that you, because you're talking to someone that's synonymous that there's something wrong with you or you have some kind of clinical issue. Um, but it's a, it's a sign that it would be beneficial to talk to uh, a therapist. And one of the nice things about a therapist is they don't they don't sit there and they they don't tell you what to do. They don't um, say cliche things or um, you know things that will annoy you. They will be like a sounding board and they'll help you process through some of the things and help you figure out coping skills to manage the situation. Um, and there are many ways to to find um, a therapist. Uh, SEMA, I think it's S-E-E-M-A, they have like an interactive map of all the Muslim therapists in the area. Um, uh, psychology Today is great. If you really want to use insurance, um, you know, you just call the number on the back of your insurance card. So right now, uh, there's, there's um, it, it's, it's easier to access a therapist in that you can do it from the comfort of your own home. And um, some are even taking like reduced fee to to in consideration of what's going on. Um, and then I guess as a final uh, uh, um, a question, uh, certainly we're right on the uh, the cusp of Ramadan. Um, so uh, certainly Ramadan for uh, for you know the Muslim community in general. I mean, even outside of Ramadan, we're a very social. Um, a very close knit social network, and this is what I think for the for the Muslim community is is very difficult for um, with this with this um, social distancing situation that we're in is because you know our community is so tied together you know congregating in the masjid you know daily and then on Fridays and then you know even just culturally in most Muslim cultures you know there's a, there's a very high emphasis on family and and and, and getting together and. Uh, you know, you know, affection and 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 that whole type, you know, that brotherhood and sisterhood that um, we all enjoy in our Muslim community. Don't forget food. 
food. Yeah, of course, <laughs> eating together. Um, and all of that hey, really I'm comes. About affection. I just want food. <laughs> all of that really, you know, is even accentuated further in Ramadan. You know, so you have that light of Ramadan, that spiritual light, but you also have that light of the community, uh, which for um, for 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 many is that it is the the, the what they love about Ramadan, uh, you coming together, and that it's it's part of the beauty of it. And so uh, certainly, this is going to be a challenging Ramadan from that aspect. Um, so I was wondering if maybe you could address some of um, uh, some of your tips, perhaps uh, uh, in 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 approaching this this Ramadan uh, w- with this these social restrictions in place, and if 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 possible, perhaps maybe even give some of your own um, personal goals that you, you know you're trying to um, implement yourself in, in 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 coming into this Ramadan as well. Yeah, I mean, there's so many things I think we're going to miss about you know the social parts of Ramadan. Tarawih is one of my probably my favorite. Um, you know, the, the community of stars and, and the food, of course. Um, and, and nothing can really replace that, that interaction. But we can certainly try to make the best of, our, of the situation. And so, um, you know, I think trying to be as festive as possible. Uh, decorating, like I haven't put up our decorations yet, but I certainly plan on doing it next week, uh, inshallah. I think... Um, uh, doing all the preparatory things that we do for Ramadan, like listening to the lectures and, um, you know, just mentally putting ourselves there will be important. So, yeah, I think, you know, I think it's okay to be sad that it's not going to be the same. But what a wonderful opportunity is also to clarify our intentions. Um, because how, you know, sometimes with, the, with all the social things uh, that are going on, it's easy, it's easier for us to be tempted to, do certain things that might mess up our intentions. So this will be, um, it'll, it'll be harder, but for sure, I think there's going to be barakah and there's going to be opportunities to really, really connect with Allah one-on-one in ways that we didn't have before. Um, so for me personally, you know, I, I, I've been doing a lot of things, mental health things related to, you know, COVID uh, in the past few weeks. And so I, I'm honestly looking forward to slowing down, having more reflection time, um, you know, to, uh, praying at night. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm looking forward to that. I'm on purpose, just like we mentioned before, like, you know, life is just so busy. Like, I really do want to take that time to, to reconnect and just work on myself. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's going to be a challenge, but may Allah make it easy on all of us. And then for Eid, too, you know, I think it's important that we dress up. I think it's important that we buy gifts. Um, I don't usually buy gifts for my friends, but I think this year I, should, I might send a few things via Amazon because I think it'll lift people's spirits up. It's small things like that that I think will make a difference, inshallah. No. Inshallah. It's actually great. Uh, I wanted to, uh, you know, just finally as well. Um, you know, uh, piggyback off of that uh, reflection uh, point that you made, uh, especially like as we go into Ramadan, you know, we, we tend to find something to binge on, you know, and uh, and I know that my wife and I are guilty with, uh, with this because we keep trying to con- to promise ourselves to connect uh, to the seerah of our beloved uh, Prophet Muhammad and, uh, you know, and, and this is, you know, kind of a great kind of maybe tie in towards the end because you uh, mentioned all these points. I, uh, we had something in the past, Salim, if you remember, it's, it's called the cave within, yeah. uh, like how we, we are trying to uh, retreat 
in a positive way, not in a negative way uh, to ourselves so that we can connect with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Just like the way that our Prophet Muhammad retreated before he became Prophet. You know, he, it, it took time. He, 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 he was, he put himself in this situation, and he, and he grew out of it uh, in a way that's never been done before. Uh, you know, uh, in a way that made him the best of uh, of creation. I just So, um, so yeah. I mean, um, maybe another uh, thing that you can recommend uh, is how we connect spiritually to to our, you know, personalities of emulation. How how we need to, you know, maybe find a, a better way to to uh, get back to the resources, to get back to our connection to our prophet and. Uh, which will be an ultimate connection, of course, to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You know, mindfulness is something that's been popular recently. And essentially what mindfulness is, is just sitting there and being aware of um, just how you are in the moment. And I think like, you know, um, the Buddhist mentality in terms of mindfulness is not necessarily what we want to do because for them it's about um, there is nothing except what I'm feeling right in this moment. So that's not necessarily Islamic, but I think taking the principles of mindfulness in that sitting there and then just knowing how your body feels, like what are my senses? What am I seeing? What am I, uh, what am I hearing? How, what's the temperature in the room? And just being mindful in the situation because a lot of the times when we're trying to do this self-reflection, we're either in the past or thinking about the future. Rarely are we ever like mindful in the moment. And so those are the, the opportunities that we have where we put everything to the side and say, okay, what do I have in front of me? Let me open up the Quran. Let me open up, you know, uh, the sealed nectar or something like that. And let me just concentrate on this immediate thing in front of me. Um, I think that's a great way because there's no magic formula. I mean, with seclusion, there's, I don't think that there's anything um, necessarily uh, magical or special about it, but it's just that ability to be like, okay, I have responsibilities. I'm working on my responsibilities, but in this moment right now, I'm just going to sit. I'm going to do dhikr. I'm just going to feel my, you know, the presence of Allah. Or I'm going to sit and I'm going to be grateful. I'm going to practice gratefulness. Research shows that that has such a tremendous uh, impact on our mood. And we know that spiritually that's very uh, useful as well. Just sitting there like, alhamdulillah, alhamdulillah. Like, you know, my family got on my nerves today and I didn't do that well in my job, but alhamdulillah, I have food. And alhamdulillah, like I have a warm bed, alhamdulillah. So like those kinds of things, just uh, being in the moment, subhanAllah, it can generate this, this connectedness that we, we can't otherwise. Alhamdulillah, um, um, we're very grateful that you've taken time out of your very busy schedule. I know it's, you know, with a lot of things going on, you're very busy. And may Allah reward you for all the um, the service I mean, you're giving to uh, the community I mean, at large and to all those out there who are or who are aiding the people in need at this very difficult time. Very appreciative of, of your um, your reflections and your, um, your expertise today. Uh, Gaidar, uh, it was great having you on. Uh, you know, I miss seeing your face, but uh, it was good hearing your voice. And uh, we'll have to do it again, inshallah, very soon. Um, and uh, uh, may Allah bless you and your family and keep you safe as well. And as well to all the listeners, thank you for joining us. 
Um, mm-hmm. We'll be back, inshallah. Um, remember, if you're listening to us on iTunes, uh, give us five stars, uh, leave a review, uh, subscribe to the podcast, and most importantly, share this uh, podcast um, with uh, friends, family, anyone you think may benefit that gets this podcast out to a greater audience. And we appreciate that. And until then, uh, we'll see you in the next program. Assalamu alaikum. Peace be unto you. Oh, Salam to Salam